to say good morning and welcome you back to your seats. It is certainly good to be here. Maybe you heard the story of the man who was frustrated with his cat. His cat was messing up his life. So uh, one day he decided he would just take the cat and drive several blocks away from home, let it out, and see what would happen. Well, he got home only to be surprised by the cat sitting on his front step waiting for him to come home. So the next day, he got up and drove it several blocks further from home, opened up the door, let the cat out, drove back home, and to his surprise, there was the cat standing there on the stoop of the the porch waiting for him to come home. The third day, he thought, I'm just going to drive way out into the country. Went out into the country over the bridge, went through several farms, turned right, turned left, passed a few more farms, turned right, left, Stopped, let the cat out, and he waited a few minutes, and then he called his wife, and uh, he said, Honey, any sign of the cat? She said, Well, you'd be amazed, but that cat is sitting right here on the porch waiting for you to come home. He said, "Uh, Would you put the cat on the phone? I'm lost. I don't know how to get home. (laughs) Well, I... want you to know the cat is back. I do, know, I do remember how to get home, and it is good to be back here with you again this morning. Uh, we brought the whole litter, as a matter of fact. I think we have, uh, by the end of the morning, we'll have all four generations with us, and uh, we're just honored. We want you to know how honored we are to be here. We have so many wonderful memories living here in the Willie House, and we want to thank you again for opening up your arms and opening up a home for us as we transition back from the mission field. And uh, quite honestly, those were just wonderful days, and we enjoyed worshiping with you. And uh, now as we are in a new season of life, it's, uh, it's good to be in the state next door, and uh, we're trying to push the kingdom of God forward over there as well. You have a wonderful staff and some excellent preachers on staff, and occasionally you invite a guy like me, and then you're reminded of how wonderful they are. So we, we do want to get into the Word of God this morning, and uh, we're joining in the series of Finding Faith, What Faith Does. Finding Faith, What Faith Does. We're going to go to the book of Hebrews. I want to invite you to go there this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, we'll continue in this series of finding faith. I trust that you are pursuing faith. And that faith is connected to the right object. And when we find faith, then faith does things. And we want to consider what faith does this morning. Is faith a noun or is faith a verb? Is faith a feeling or is faith a force? Is faith a luxury in life, or is it a necessity in life? Those are some questions we want to take to our text this morning. We'll be exploring this uh, particularly as we get into Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to drop down to one specific example that is opened up for us in verses 8 and following. Without a shadow of a doubt... The individual that we'll be pursuing this morning as they demonstrate through their life what faith does is the most extraordinary example of faith in the Bible, bar none. His name is scattered throughout the Old Testament, 
The first verse of the New Testament includes his name, and then it's mentioned some 70 more times in the New Testament. This man has more ink in the chapter of faith, Hebrews 11, than any other individual. His name is almost synonymous with faith. I think you know who I'm talking about. We're talking about Abraham. And what faith does as we reflect on the summary of his life as it's recorded for us in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's go into verse 8 and begin reading and discover as we unearth some of the things that faith does from the life of Abraham. Beginning in verse 8, you'll notice the writer says this, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place He would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. The first thing I think we'll begin to see very clearly is that faith believes God even when it does not know where. The author takes us back to the very beginning of Abraham's life. Abraham was living in a small, dirty, dusty village in southern Iraq today along the Euphrates River. Now, archaeologists tell us it was somewhat modern for its time. I believe there were some libraries and running water and uh, some organization in the city. And yet it was very entangled in a depraved, dark, spiritual state. One man who visited the town said, It's no wonder Abraham got out of there when God called. It was a dirty, dusty, depraved city. But God called him to a place that was undisclosed at that time. Canaan, this destination which Abraham knew nothing of, was 450 miles approximately southwest of where he was living. That was before Southwest Airlines, of course. It was before Google Maps and and, uh, before GPS. It was before MapQuest. So every day as Abraham was on this journey, he had to hear God daily for the next step in life. Faith believes God even when we do not know where. There's a vagueness often in God's calling that causes us to have to come back to God for the next step. It's kind of like Jesus. He said, follow me. He doesn't tell us where, he just says, come and follow me. Abraham understood the vagueness of God's call on his life. Verse 9, we continue the story in Hebrews chapter 11. Follow along with me in verse 9. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. To understand exactly what this would have been like, maybe you could imagine God promising you the land of Mexico as your inheritance. In obedience, you travel there and live the rest of your life in Mexico in a camper. You live in a camper, so does your son's family, so does your son's families, and you're constantly on the move going from one place to the next You remain an outsider during the rest of your residency in Mexico, never given full citizenship rights, remaining a perpetual alien. Abraham never really fit in to this place that God had called him to in many respects. Abraham had a different perspective on God. He had a different perspective on man. He had a different perspective 
on the world than anybody else in that territory. And although his worldview was different, he was not anti-cultural, he was counter-cultural. He was very active in his culture. He got very deeply involved in the affairs, but at his death, he only possessed one small cemetery in the entire land. Verse 10 says this, follow with me. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Quite a contrast between the camper life and this city with foundations, but ultimately Abraham had his focus on something much greater. Faith believes God even when we don't know where. When our daughter, Diana, who will be commissioned this morning to go to the country of Spain, was finishing up her high school, she began to talk about going to this university in the United States, and we're still living in South America at the time, called Union University. Well, I had never heard of Union University. I did come to understand that Union is in the state of Tennessee. I didn't know that a state could be as wide and long as Tennessee until I drove one day from the east side of Tennessee to the west side. You can spend a lifetime driving across the state of Tennessee. So I did an internet search on Union University. I'd never heard of it before. I looked it up and found out it was one of the oldest institutions of the South. It had a great academic program, and Bear Bryant began his coaching career at Union University. I still didn't know what to think of it. (laughs) So we sent her to a place we had never heard of before. She went four years to undergraduate school and kept a four point through the four years. She played soccer four years and became the captain of the team the last two. Her four point gave her a scholarship at the master's level and she kept a four point on through master's. Graduated with honors. Her academic record gave her opportunities and jobs, but no sooner had she got to the school, she plugged into a local church and uh, very quickly was asked if she would participate in the worship team and became the leader later on of the worship team. She found a small group in that church and began to associate with them weekly in spite of the demands of college. And in that small group, there were some bankers, there were some doctors, and there were some professional men that took an interest in her well-being, and she, without even knowing of God's call to go to Spain, would begin her financial support base from Jackson, Tennessee. Faith believes God even when we don't know where. Can you believe God even when you're not real sure of all the details, or are you enslaved by details? Abraham understood the vagueness of God's call, and he believed even though he did not know where. Key words, God called, Abraham obeyed. But another facet of what faith does is related for us in the following verses. Continue with me. We see that faith believes God even when we don't know where, but Faith also believes God even when we don't know how. Verse 11 and 12, another incredible story 
of Abraham's life. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. I am so glad that this chapter of faith includes the life of Sarah. We only have two females who are mentioned by name in this chapter of faith, and she's one of the two. And this is the only husband and wife couple who are mentioned by name in Hebrews chapter 11. She was Abraham's wife. His story would have been incomplete without her. You know, women play an incredibly critical role in the advancement of God's purposes on the earth today. While we were on the mission field, we had heard it said that two-thirds of the missionary force around the world are made up of women. I assumed that was true. And then I sat down and read Nick Ripton's book on the insanity of God, and he corrected me by saying that eight out of ten missionaries are women. If we're not going to do it, guys, God will find somebody that's going to get the job done. And we have women who are included in this text. It's also great to have this husband and wife team mentioned in the chapter because there were, time, there were times when Sarah's faith was not stellar. Like when God told her that she was going to be a mother at a very advanced age and she laughed. Or the time when she loaned the cleaning lady to her husband to be a surrogate mom. But you know, in all honesty, Abraham's faith was not always stellar either. And there were times when Abraham needed Sarah, just like there were times when Sarah needed Abraham, and they give us a perfect model of how crucial that is in a marriage that we help each other through those difficult times. Neither one really understood how God was going to do this, but they deep down believed that in some way he would. And as this verse says in verses 11 and 12, Sarah was barren, Abraham was as good as dead. The message Bible says his loins were dead and shriveled. It would be like Billy and Ruth Graham having a child just in the last few years of their life. But God had promised that it would come to pass, and it did. I believe it was George Sweeney, the former president from Moody Bible, who said, Optimism is when an 85-year-old man marries a 35-year-old woman. They build a 12-room bedroom house next to an elementary school with hopes that someday that house will be populated. But faith even goes further than that. This is a 99-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman through whom God would build his prodigy and even at that advanced stage, they kept believing God. They not only filled that 12-bedroom house, their prodigy filled the earth. And God honored his promise, even when they did not understand how. They kept believing. What has God asked you to do that maybe you don't have all the details yet? Can you believe God even when you don't understand how. God has called some to go to a country like Spain with 8,000 cities and communities, 7,500 of which have absolutely no Christian church or evangelical presence. God has called others to start a group 
that would multiply. I heard a man say, I would rather start one small group that multiplies than a hundred that don't. There's power in multiplication. God has called others to see discipleship spread throughout our states. God has called some to hang on to a shaky marriage. God has called others to restore a wayward child. God has called others to trust him for a better job. What has God asked you to do that seems impossible? You know, if it's not God's size and if it doesn't involve God in doing it, it probably is not of God. He knows how to get it done. In 2002, 2003, we were living in the country of Venezuela, and a national strike had been declared trying to oust the former president, Hugo Chavez. Businesses, stores, malls, factories were closing left and right from early December and to an unknown time that would not end for almost two more months. The thought was that if everybody is on strike, we'll starve him out of the government. Well, people began to get a little antsy. Schools were closed down, but we had our children at a school that the students were required to have a certain number of days of attendance or they wouldn't graduate, and there were seniors who were getting ready to go on to college in the following year. The board got together and determined, we will go ahead and offer classes three days a week and send our homework home for the other two. But how do you get your kids to school when they're not delivering gasoline to the gas stations? And we live five miles from the school, and honestly, walking five miles one way to school wasn't really an attractive alternative. Many people began to leave Venezuela even back in the early 2000s. Half of the missionary force in the country left. We prayed, and ironically, in the middle of that time, we got a phone call from one of our supporting churches asking if we would go back and be the senior minister at that church. A nice, quiet town, a lot of friends, and a beautiful church. Isn't it kind of ironic how those calls come at such opportune times? And it sure looked appropriate. But we prayed the night before we were supposed to give the final answer and ask if that would be what God would want us to do. And he said no. Right after that decision, a mission agency in the city decided to sell one of their 15-passenger vans that had been used for the mission and make it available if any of the families in the school needed help getting their kids to school, those living on the southeast corner of the city of Caracas. With one driver, there were 14 places left. Isn't it incredible that there were 14 students who went to the school on the southeast corner of school, including our children? Not only that, but the van only ran on diesel fuel, which was the only fuel you could find in the city at the gas pumps. And the day after the strike was over, the van sold. We didn't need it anymore. And in all honesty, the best years of ministry were from that day forward. Because the Venezuelan people said, you were willing to stay here during the strike. You love us. You care about us. And we want to follow your lead. Are you able to believe God even when you don't know how? Faith believes even when we don't know how. Faith also believes even when we don't know when. Verses 13 through 16. 
All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. Verse 14. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Faith continues to believe even when we don't know when. Abraham lived to see his son turn 75 years of age and his grandsons to their 15th birthday. But he was still living in a camper and a cemetery was all he owned. Hardly an innumerable nation like God had promised him. It would still be several hundred years before Joshua would come into the land and begin to possess it. But notice what it says in verse 13. I have this highlighted in my Bible. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Wouldn't that be a great epitaph for a tombstone? Still living by faith when they died. Death is the final test of our faith. Regardless of how they died, whether it was a natural death or a peaceful one, whether it was violent, old age, or prime of life, these people died well. They died believing, believing the promise. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. He says, God makes his dying people be like the sun. It never seems so large as when it sets. They kept their eyes on God. They pressed forward to the victory and held on to the promise. Maybe you're not facing death right now, but God is still calling you to keep your faith in some very difficult times. One of the most incredible, influential men I have ever met in life is a man by the name of Curtis Sargent. He went to a province in China where in the midst of seven million people, only three tiny house churches existed with a total attendance of 70 people. And the average age of the attenders were in their 60s. He had an incredible project ahead of him. Curtis went into that province and began to build house churches that learned to multiply themselves. And over the course of 10 years, that process reproduced itself to the extent that by the end of his sojourn in that province, there were over 512 house churches, over 50,000 new believers in Christ. And then he took his ministry and just began to invest in the lives of other people. He's been into over 100 countries. He's done training locally, and he does it around the world. But perhaps the most amazing thing about Curtis' story is how his dad came to faith and without his dad, he would not be who he is today. His dad was in Texas as a high school senior, Easter Sunday morning, out in the field plowing with the mule. A high school buddy came to the farm and wanted to invite him to church. He jumped over the fence, walked up to Curtis's father and said, I'd sure like to have you go with me to church this morning. And Curtis's father said, but can't you see I've got a lot of work to do today? That buddy came back and invited him the next Sunday, the following Sunday, and for 52 Sundays came back inviting him to come to church, and every time he got a negative answer until the 52nd time. A year later, Easter Sunday morning, 
And the father of Curtis said, if you come back next Sunday, I'll go to church with you. The 53rd Sunday, he came back and he finally went to church. He liked it so much, he came the second Sunday and gave his life to the Lord in that second worship service. Curtis's father was called to be a missionary also and raised his family between Japan and South Korea, which instilled the DNA of loving people that are lost. Are you able to believe God even when you don't know when? Abraham believed God even when he did not know when. And also, he believed God even when he did not know why. We close Abraham's story in verse 17. Follow this. By faith, Abraham, and this is the final test. We come back to Abraham. When God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. It didn't make sense. The very son of promise, this individual that Abraham had waited a lifetime for, had finally been given by faith. And now God is asking him to give that recipient, that offering that God had given back to him reciprocally. It did not make sense. But Abraham figured that if God could give him to me the first time, he can give him back the second time. And Abraham did not understand why, but he offered him up. You know the story. And Abraham got him back. And what a prefigure to the ultimate expression of faith when God gave his son and would offer him up on the cross and then would receive him back the third day, resurrected from the grave. Are you able to obey God and believe God even when you don't know why? When we were called to go to the mission field, it was something that was a very personal issue between my wife and I, and God had made it very clear to us that that was to be the next phase of our life. We did not know how long. We did not understand necessarily why. I'll never forget the day when my parents came through Kentucky where we were living at that time. They stopped in and spent some time with us and it was time to sit down and have that conversation with them about our being called to Venezuela. We sat in the kitchen that morning. We had some breakfast and at the end of breakfast I expressed to mom and dad, I said, uh, mom and dad, you need to understand something, but we have just been called to go to Venezuela. There was quietness, and I was waiting for the hammer to drop. How's this going to sit? And Mom interjected, and I don't remember if she remembers these words, but she said this, David, when you were born, we gave you back to God. This is not an issue for us today, because you've already been given to Him. I can't describe for you how much weight that took off of my shoulders, knowing that in my parents' eyes, I had already been given to God. Can you believe God even when you don't understand why? Finding faith is an incredible journey in life. 
I want to challenge you this morning to find it. Because when you find faith, faith begins to do things in life that are unprecedented. Faith allows us to believe God even when we don't understand where, even when we don't understand why, even though we don't understand how or when. But God knows how to do those things. What would it look like today, just even in this day, if you allow God to have your total allegiance? Somebody described faith this way. Faith and this acronym, perhaps you've seen it before, is simply this. Forsaking all, I trust. And what's that last word? Him. Forsaking all, I trust Him. What would that look like today to forsake all and trust him? What would it look like this week? What would it look like in your life from here forward? Let's have a word of prayer. We thank you, Lord, that he who calls is faithful. And Father, help us to be able to follow the example of Abraham and find you Find faith and let you do your work. And we pray this in Christ's name.